0: at the life of Joseph, who goes essentially from a little boy in his family to prison pits, to uh, accused of crimes he didn't do, to becoming prime minister in the greatest nation of the world at that time, straight out of prison. to tell stories. It's, a, it's one of the, the blessings and curses. If you, if you come to hang out with me, I'll have a story. I've got a, a stories for days. And um, my, my favorite thing to do is to tell a story before I preach, something relatable, just to draw you in. And I, and I often will tell a narrative and I'll go, we'll have this incredible introduction and then I'll have this amazing crescendo and just finishes so neatly and perfectly. And, and everyone will be laughing and Gabe, you're such a funny preacher. Wow, amazing. Tell us more stories, Gabe. And I'm like, I know, I know. It's just a I want to be humble, but I'm really a great storyteller. just want to put my life out there. And then I'll get home and my wife will go, yeah, great story, but it's not the full truth, that story. <laughs> there was a hole in that story. Like you gave us all the, all the, good, all the good bits and it just it flowed so well. I'm like, yeah, Fiona, but no one wants to know those details, you know. We just want a great story that finishes well. So always got to be a little bit careful. It's always a, a humbling thing to have your wife in the front row. <laughs> she brings correction. It's okay, there's a hole in that story. And often uh, uh, that can be my nature. I like just, you know, give you the high points, give you the, the good points, you know, leave out the, the nitty gritty, the stuff that's maybe not so colorful or doesn't fit so well in the narrative. And I, I often get these sort of phone calls. And I got one a few years ago of a guy phoning me a cold call, telling me, Hey, Mr. Phillips, you know what? We, I want to give you an offer that is just going to blow your mind. I'm like, I'm all up for it. Give, give me the offer. And he says, have you ever wanted a six-pack and biceps and a body that is just outstanding? I said, well, I thought I had one already, but I mean, if you're telling me that there's more than this, I'm in. And like, Mr. Phillips, let me tell you, that... Could be yours because I'm fighting on behalf of a gym, and I want to give you a membership. You know, that is the goal. You're gonna get there. But I want to tell you right now, the membership to get to that, it's just at the, the lowest rate ever. You won't even believe the monthly installments. They're just—it's almost like I'm giving it to you for free, basically, Mr. Phillips. This is unbelievable. You know, there's so cheap, and you just a six-pack. It's gonna be so cheap. It's not gonna affect your monthly income at all. And six-pack. Just imagine your wife is gonna be ooing and ahhing. I'm like more than she is already. I'm oh. I'm pumped already on the phone. But as I'm on the phone, I, can, I just almost, I have this, this beautiful guiding voice in my life. It's the Holy Spirit and Fiona Phillips. Just, the, you know, <laughs> beautiful. And in a sense, as I hear this narrative, I'm like, yeah, yeah, actually, hold, uh, hold up a minute, buddy. You're selling me on the, the beautiful entry point, And you're selling me on this amazing end goal. I know there's a hole in your story. You haven't told me. that I actually have to go to the gym. There's a hole in that story. You're telling me that I have to go and I've got to sweat. I've got to go in there with, with, with this body and try and squeeze in and next to all the, all the Greek gods who go in every day and are thumping their chests. And I've got to pick up some dumbbells. And I'm like, and I'm going to look awkward. And also, I have to Instagram this whole journey because that's what millennials do. I don't want, I don't want that. There's a hole in your story, buddy. I, I'm out. And that's actually what I want to preach about today. I want to tell us this reality of this narrative. We're preaching a series on a man named Joseph. Genesis chapter 37 to 50 is this whole narrative. And if we start with the beginning, Joseph's story starts with a great crescendo. He is a man, like Martin Luther King Jr. says, I have a dream. And he had this succession of dreams where, 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 where was, uh, the sun, the moon, and the stars would bow down to him, that the 11 uh, sheaves of, of, of wheat would bow down to his. And in a sense, that he, the, the interpretation that he would raise to a position of prominence, that God had great things for him. And his father had already seen this greatness in him and had shown his favoritism to his youngest at that stage of 11 sons, and he had made him a coat, a beautiful garment, a technicolor dream coat, and put on him as an identified, this boy is made for greatness. I have a dream. And then if you flick a few pages to the end of the narrative, you find at the, one of the pinnacle moments of his story, he is now in Egypt in a foreign land. And he's being ordained, he's being uh, inaugurated as the second in command over all of Egypt, the greatest nation of the day. He has risen to the highest prominence. In a sense, his dream has come true. His brothers are bowing down to him. The nations are bowing down to him. Pharaoh himself has given him the, the, the fullness of authority on his behalf. And there's a beginning, this amazing, beautiful dream and the fulfillment of it. From, from promise to palace, from dream to destiny, it's almost like, wow, what a narrative. But I want to tell you, there's a hole in the story. Quite literally, there is a hole in the story. And we want to read about it today. So let's go there. Chapter 37, verse 18 to 28. This is just after Joseph has received the dream. He's told his brothers, but not everyone has been so excited about this dream. The brothers are not so happy that the younger sibling, the arrogant younger one, is telling them that one day you will bow down to me. That is not going down well. So we pick it up in Genesis 37. Verse 18 goes on like this. It says, When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him, and let's throw him into one of these holes. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. But when Reuben heard of their scheme, he came to Joseph's rescue. Let's not kill him, he said. Why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him into this empty hole here in the wilderness. Then he'll die without our laying a hand on him. Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. Then they grabbed him and threw him into the hole. Now the hole was empty. There was no water in it. Then just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders make, taking a load of gum, balm, and aromatic resin from Gilead down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to these Ishmaelite traders. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So when the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, came by, Joseph's brothers pulled them out of the hole and sold them to them for 20 pieces of silver. And the traders took him to Egypt. The title of my sermon this morning is The Hole in the Story. The Hole in the Story. And I, and I realize this is not just about a man named Joseph. I believe this is about you and I here in this room today. In the year 2022, this is very real for us. Because maybe you're sitting here and beneath the veneer, the smile, the, 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 the Sunday best attire that you put on today, maybe you're feeling stripped like Joseph. Maybe not of physically of a, a garment, but stripped of the promises that you once believed. You feel stripped of your dignity. You feel stripped of your hope. You feel like, Joseph, you've been let down. You've been betrayed. You've been dropped. And maybe you're here trying to believe God for the more, but it feels like as you believe God for the more, you feel every now and again like you're going, yeah, but this feels like there's a hole in that story. The promise to what I'm actually seeing, there feels like there's a hole in the story. And I want to tell you today, between the promise and the palace, there's a pit. Between the dream and the destiny, there's detours, delays, and disappointments, and here's the big cracks for you and I today. Before we can understand the whole story, we have to deal with the whole in the story. So why don't we pray, and let's lean into the Word together. Father, I thank You for Your Word here today. I thank You for Your people as we gather in this amazing thing called church. Not our design, but Your heavenly blueprint for us here on earth. a shadow and type as we gather together to hear Your Word the Word of God that will come and change us, shape us, move us, and call us to the more. I thank you, Father God, would you right now move upon every single heart. Would this not just be an exercise in futility of one man with a, a microphone doing a monologue and us applauding and then leaving unchanged. I thank you, Father God, would your Word, by your Spirit's power, minister to every single heart. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, amen. Three things this morning I want to help take us from this narrative. There's a hole in the story. In a sense, the first one is disappointment. If we look at Joseph's narrative, Joseph goes from a moment of euphoria. He's been given the favoritism of his father. He's wearing, he's looking really good. He's in incredible threads. He's, he's looking sharp. He's looking Instagram ready in his, in his multicolored outfit. He is just looking zhuzhy. He's now got a dreams. He's waking up in the middle of the night with vivid dreams that he's going, "This must be from God. He's sharing them with his brothers and his, his juvenile excitement. Hey, guys, guys, amazing. Don't you think this is incredible what God is speaking to me? And you guys, one day you'll all bow down to me and I'm going to have authority. And he shares it immaturely with his brothers. And then the very next thing he experiences, he goes to visit them. He's expecting maybe a round of applause. Maybe, wow, here comes the dreamer. And he said he's welcomed with sarcasm. Here comes the dreamer. Rolling of eyes, oh, so over this young guy. And the very next thing we see in a story is Joseph is literally let down into a pit by his brothers. The very people he has pinned and shared his hopes and dreams on, he gets let down by. He gets literally let down. Let down into a pit. And as I started to read this narrative, I realized that actually there's a whole lot of us who are, I think the, the pervading emotion in a lot of Christianity these days is one of disappointment. Hope deferred. And whether it's overtly and you say things like, my, you know, I, I had pinned my hopes on my spouse, but look, look, look where that's gone. Look at the state of my relationship. Look what they've left me. Or, or we actually just, I actually expected more my boss or my so-called friends or my leaders. You know, people who, who said they'd be there for us. People who said they'd fight for us. People who said they'd stand by us. People who said they'd pray for you. But as you hear all that, you go, yeah, but there was a hole in that story. That wasn't really true. They left me. They abandoned me. And I I really believe that I'm here today to remind us the number one hijacker of the promotion that God has for you and I in our lives. The more that he has for us, I believe, is getting stuck in the place of disappointment. I believe it's the number one hijacker because actually if you look around uh, social media these days across the earth, one of the most trending statements in Christianity is one of church hurt me. The people who I thought would, would love me. The people who promised me the world, but there was a hole in that story. Church hurts. And people are kicking out of the God story that He has for them because church hurt me. And let me just make it clear. Church didn't hurt you. People did. People did. And that is the reality. But I want to tell us right now that actually the Bible, when it talks about this reality of, of disappointment and offense and bitterness, it actually says it's a trap. Quite literally, in the New Testament, the word for offense is the word "scandalon," which means a trap. It means a snare. It's basically, as one author said, it's a bait, the bait of Satan. Offense is, is something that's so rife in our world that we, we, it just it feels like it's the, very mo- the motion that's on the surface, ready to lay hold on a slight, on an unreapplied message, on a, on a comment that's not, not written properly, on, a, on a, a comment on social media, and I don't understand the tone, on the way they didn't greet me, on this sort of thing. And that's at the superficial level let alone the, the, the deep, re, real pain of relationships. But actually, the idea is that actually offense is like a bait, a, a, a hook for a fish that's been loaded up, this looks so juicy and real and right, and I deserve to be offended, but it's called the bait of Satan. Actually, it's trapping people. There's a hole in that story. And this is the reality for you and I, that actually I really believe disappointment not dealt with leads to offense and bitterness. Disappointment not dealt with. And our disappointment in itself is not an evil emotion, but undealt with, untended to, unrecognized, and not taken hold of will, will lead, will lead to offense and bitterness. And here's the reality. Maybe you say, okay, what's so wrong with that? Well, I want to tell you, offense does three things. Offense, number one, will deceive you. Offense is deceptive. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 7 and 24, when Jesus is waxing lyrical about the, the, the last days, and he's starting to get on the last days, and we're all like, oh, here he goes. He's going to tell us who the Antichrist is. Come on, who's the Antichrist? Is it Biden or Trump? Tell us which one. Come on, people. No, no, there we go. Come on, offense. Don't get offended. Don't get offended, people. Relax. But it's like, well, come on, the last days. But this is what Jesus, one of the things he says, he says, in the last days, many will be offended. And the very next thing he says is, and many will be deceived. Because offense will deceive you. It will color your vision and it will leave you in a place far away from the promotion God has for you. Too many Christians are being disqualified because they think that they're justified You sit in the pit of offense. And that's the reality. It deceives you. And actually, we've seen it before, but so many people are saying, oh, there's so many YouTubers saying, oh, who are the wolves in the sheep's clothing? Who's the wolves? Let me tell you, for me, the reality is I think there's actually not, yes, there's a lot of wolves amongst the sheep. But let me tell you, there's a lot of sheep amongst the wolves as well. And what I mean by that is actually, I think many false prophets are sitting in the pews. Why? Because offense is not just, it's not, if, if you're going to get deceived, it's not just from a pulpit. It's actually within you. The Bible says many will be offended and many will be deceived. I think many of us are viewing life from a place of deception. But this is the reality. It doesn't just deceive you. Offense will then deaden you. Hebrews 12 verse 15 says, See to it that no one fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out for this, that no root of bitterness grows up and causes you trouble, and by its many become defiled. Offense will cause you firstly to start, it'll deceive you. You'll start seeing people, seeing uh, nuance that was not there. You'll start seeing and and second-guessing people's motives. You'll start getting so frustrated with people, you'll be unable to receive the grace for them because you're so offended and you say so justly and rightly deserved. It will deceive you, but then slowly you'll start deadening your heart. And you're unable to see the, the grace at all. You know it, I know it in a relationship, in a, in a marital relationship. As soon as there's a fence in your heart, you start to second guess the way that, because she said that or he said that to me, and you start to get deceived. You start to second guess what that actually is in their heart. And then after, just leave that for a little while. And then actually I'm like, I don't even want to greet her. I don't even want to greet him. I'm just going to, I'm not going to, I don't want to cuddle. No, thank you. And our hearts are like that. And that's just in the, in the micro-reality here. But thirdly, I want to tell you, this is where it even gets worse. Offense will deceive you, it'll deaden you, and very quickly it'll demonize you. This is what the Bible says. The Bible says in Matthew 5, it says, Jesus talking says, those who harbor bitterness and offense in their hearts are in danger of a living hell. 2 Timothy verse 2 says, those who are offended with each other are easily taken captive to do Satan's will. Let me tell you, too many are being seduced into thinking that offence and bitterness and, and because of undealt with disappointment, being let down, betrayed, dropped, that actually I, I'm justified to be offended. And we live our lives like that. We get we so easy of being deceived, deadened, demonised. But this is the reality. You want you want to know the cure for it is forgive. And let me tell you, it's easy to say, hard to do. So hard that Peter himself, when Jesus says, forgive your brothers, Peter goes, how many times do I have to do that, though? Like, like what's the limit? Three, four, five? Jesus, tell me. Jesus says, 70 times seven. And Peter, standard grade math is going, I don't even have enough fingers. <laughs> Calculator, 70 times seven. What the heck is that number? This is hectic. Multiples of seven is really hard to do. But you know what? When he, under, when he hears a 70 times seven, Peter's response is this. Hi, boy that is hard. Lord, increase my faith. And that's what I want to say. To forgive someone is not about feelings. It's about faith. Not, Lord, increase my feelings towards him. No, no. It's actually increase my faith. This is a spiritual reality. If you want to freedom from the pit of offense and bitterness and disappointment, faith is required to forgive. Not feeling like it. I'm not saying you have to feel like everything's better. And not that I have to feel like they are amazing now. You don't have to falsely love them. You just have to say, God, I need need faith through this. Let me remind us that actually our freedom is not held by their apology. It's held by Jesus. Too often we're waiting. When they apologize. No, no, no. Your future determines it. So often a lot of us are disappointed by man. But I also want to say, I think a lot of us are disappointed by God. Am I allowed to say that in church? The Bible says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. I've heard narratives of people who've trained for, for and got promotions in, in, in rugby teams and soccer teams and they've had this, their eyes set on the prize for this reality and just when they, they got the, the, the call up to the big squad and when, just when they've set their dreams to make this, this reality, all of a sudden they get injured and they feel their, their whole life is gone. But God, why? I worked so hard up to this. Or the job, I got all the way up here and I get, get sidestepped the last time. God, what's going on? Hope deferred makes the heart sick. We say things like, God, you promised that I wouldn't be lonely. But it seems like there's a hole in that story. God, you promised that I would have a successful marriage. But it seems like there's a hole in that story. God, you promised that I'll have more than I've currently got. But it seems like there's a hole in that story. God, you promised that I'll be healed by now. But it seems like there's a hole in that story. Let me tell you, the solution, if we are wrestling right now with disappointment in a sense, maybe you haven't even put those words to it, disappointment with God, unmet, un- unfulfilled expectations, dreams, you're saying, God, what about me? I've prayed, I've given, I've attended, but it seems like I- I've-, I've been forgotten here. Here is you're the recipe for freedom for you and I. The Bible says, put on the garments of praise. Isaiah 61 says, you've given me a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair, instead of a spirit of heaviness, instead of a spirit of disappointment, you've, you've given me a garment of praise. Now what do I mean by that? In the, in the, the Bible tells us that Jesus at the last supper, when he's breaking bread and describing the new covenant to his followers, in the midst of this holy moment, of breaking of bread, and pouring out of the wine, saying, this is my body, this is my blood, tomorrow this is going to be enacted, and the fulfillment of this reality, in the midst of that, he says, somebody here will betray me, they will let me down, they will drop me, they will let me down, he says, and not me, not me, Lord. And in that moment, Judas places his hand and in the, in the, dips it in. And actually, if you fast forward, you realize Jesus in that same narrative, as he goes to the cross, one of the first things he cries out is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Quoting Psalm 22. But in a sense, it, in, this, in, in this moment of, his, of anxiety, of moment of him giving his life for humanity, in that holy moment, man betrayed him, and it seemed like even God had. But this is what Jesus does in the midst of it. It says, after Judas had dipped his hand in the betrayal and and Judas went out to sell him out for an amount of money, it says this, they left that place, they sung a hymn and went to the Mount of Olives. I just saw that this week. They sung a hymn. He's just been betrayed. He's on his way to a cross and he sings a hymn. And that word hymn is the word halal. It comes from the Psalms. And they would have sung, as good Jewish boys, they would have sung Psalm 113 to 118. That's what they sing at Passover, Psalm 113 to Psalm 118. And as I started to read that, I was wondering, what, what would Jesus potentially have been singing? was it anything of the latest Hillsong or the latest Bethel? No, he would have sung Psalm 113, which says this. And one of the Psalms, the beginning says, The Lord lifts the poor from the dust, the needy from their holes. He sets them among princes. As I just read that, I thought, wow, Jesus, in that moment where there's betrayal, to the left and betrayal to the right. so I'm going to sing praise. This is what I want to remind us, that actually you and I are, are, are freedom. We cannot have offense and bitterness in our mouth and the praise of God at the same time. And praise breaks chains praise breaks chains because you start singing a superior reality that's beyond your feeling I don't feel like this but God this is who you are I don't I don't I don't feel like your freedom but this is who you are that's why for us when we sing we're revealing that yes there's holes in the story but there's a greater one who holds the story and that's what we call to do number one is disappointment number two is darkness I think of this reality of Joseph He's been let down by his brothers. And then there's this moment as their voices become, they move around, they're talking, they're they're skinnering. And what are we going to do with this boy? You can't leave him out here. Joseph is sitting at the bottom of a hole. A cistern, a well, a, 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 there's no water, it's a forsaken well. Sitting there, he's bruised, he's been beaten up by his brothers, he's been had a, he's stripped nude of his cloak. He's sitting there in sh- scrapes and pain and anxious, and he's sitting in the bottom of the hole, sitting there in his darkness, his eyes are trying to get accustomed to light, and there's like a rat scurrying by, and there's soil on the side, and he's dirty, and he's going, how have I fallen so far? How did I wear that? I was parading around like the king of the family, getting dreams and visions for God, and I'm sitting half-naked, bloodied and bruised in a hole. How did I get here? And I think a lot of us, we often get into situations where it feels like we can't see beyond our sin. We can't see beyond our situation. You know, this is, I want to tell you what the majority of Christianity is for the world, myself included at times, is this reality. I sin, I feel shame, I then feel sorrow, and then I say sorry. Forgive me, Lord. Then the next week, I sin, I feel shame, I feel sorrow, then I say, sorry, Lord. That was my routine for most of my teenage years. I've shared that many, multiple times, but struggling with a pornography addiction was all week indulging in my sinful nature. Then on Friday at youth and Sunday at church, I get there and I'm like, oh, what the heck am I even doing? I'm such a fraud, there's a hole in my story. I'm useless. And I'm standing there in the first song, I'm like, Oh, Lord, yeah, I'm terrible. I am dreadful. I'm so ashamed. Why do I do it again? Second song, I'm like, yeah, God, but you're kind. You'll forgive me. Third song, I'm like, I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned. I'm going for you. Fourth song, I'm like signing up to be a missionary to China. I'm like, this week, we'll never do it again. Monday, sin, shame, sorrow, sorry. Majority of Christianity are sitting in that that hole, that pit, and not being able to ever get free. You're wondering about promotion. You're saying, actually, if I could just, I can't see beyond my situation. I can't see beyond my sin. Your relationship with Jesus is defined by your sin. But here's the reality. You know, so often we sing. Maybe you say this. I sing I'm free at church. I sing I've got the victory. But it feels like there's a wholeness story because I still have addictions. I still have that secret obsession. I still have that proclivity to that temptation. But this is the reality for you and I today. I want to tell you we have to put on the robe of righteousness. We have to put on the robe of righteousness. What I mean by that? Isaiah 61 goes on, says in verse 10, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God, for He has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. This is the reality. You see, uh, we've got a little boy, Benjamin, and uh, Benjamin is three, and he's got an addiction is the correct word, with Spider-Man. Spider-Man, 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 that's like, that's his guy, he loves him, and he's got this little outfit that was super cool, uh, but now the problem is he's worn it every day for the last uh, six months, and it's looking quite in a taddy now, but he puts that one on again and again, I want the Spider-Man outfit, and this has got pants, got a top, got a little, a little, a little mask on as well, just, it's, a, it's just a, it's a whole deal, and Benji loves it, when he puts that on, oh, Spider-Man, he is Spider-Man, he's embodied Spider-Man, he jumps there and he's shooting the webs, he's doing the whole routine, humming the, the, the theme song to himself, And and there's an amazing thing, I'm like, whoa, it's Spider-Man. He'll run past, he'll stop, lift up his mask and say, no, it's me, Benji. (laughs) What? I'm like, wow, Benji, I didn't know that. Now, silly illustration, but let me tell you, as his father, even though he's wearing Spider-Man outfit, I know that is not Spider-Man. Just a little spoiler, don't tell him. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's not Spider-Man. That's not Peter Parker right there. That is Benjamin Asher Phillips, my son. Why? Because actually, he may, well, no matter what he puts on, the tattered robes of a Spider-Man costume, his very DNA is my son. Let me tell you, the reality is, the great exchange that we told about on the cross is that when Jesus died for you and I, it says that he took off us our sin and he put on us his righteousness. We became His righteousness. The Bible doesn't say we, we put it on so it falls off sometimes. No, no. it says we became it. We embodied it. He, by the cross, He changed our DNA. You, with all the holes in your story, He changed your DNA to become the very righteousness of God. Whether you've been following Jesus for 60, 70 years, or this is day one, from day one of putting your trust in Jesus, you get given the robe of righteousness, your DNA. And though you might parade around and put on a sinner's clothes sometimes and go, hey, look at me, I'm sinning, I'm messing around. Let me tell you, your father, you don't have to go, hey, dad, it's me, I'm actually, I'm actually trying hard. No, he knows who you are. You're his son. The thing is, you and I need to start believing that. Here's the reality for us, is stop making promises to God and start believing his promises. Too much Christianity is leaving church going, I promise I'll try harder, God. When actually the whole message of the gospel is, it's not about your promises. It's about His promise to you. And when we start believing, when we start believing that we are the righteousness of God, we are people of, we are called believers. Christians are called believers, not behaviors. Why? Because our right believing will lead to right behavior. We'll start to manifest the righteousness. But as we live in this state, as Benji learns that he is my son, he's going to grow up and learn that he is my son more and more, that he's not Spider-Man. He's Benjamin Asher Phillips. He's going to change the world because he's my boy. You see, this is the reality. Jesus died for you while you were his enemy. While you were antagonistic, while you were opposed to him, while you were a God-hater, Jesus died for you. Let me go a little bit better. It says this. He died for you while you were dead in your sins. While you had no ability to respond to
1: him. While you were so
0: beaten up by your sins that there was no hope. The Bible says you were dead. You were dead. Jesus died for you. Hold the phone. Let's go a little bit better. Scripture tells us that He died for us while we were in our mother's womb. He, Jeremiah 1 says, I called you while before you were born. In your mother's womb, I knew you. Hold the phone. Let's go a little bit further. Scripture tells us clearly that He died for us before the foundation of the earth. This is the reality for you now. Let me tell you this. Your future is not defined by your sin. It's defined by His grace. Or as John Wesley called it, the prevenient grace of God, the grace that's gone before you. Even before you've sinned, His grace has gone before. And this is not an excuse to live in licentiousness. This is the empowering to put on the robe of righteousness. That is who I am. You see, this is the reality. I speak now to you people here who've been wrestling those demons, wrestling those addictions, wrestling those anxieties, wrestling in the darkness, not knowing, am I ever going to be free? Am I ever going to see a different path than this? I want to tell you, your freedom is in His righteousness, not your own. Disappointment, darkness, and thirdly, doubt. You see, imagine this, Joseph let down by his brothers, dealing with disappointment. they betrayed me. They've dropped me. God, you spoke a dream. How can I trust you? You gave me this dream, and I'm sitting in the bottom of a pit, in the dirt. And I'm seeing in the darkness, I don't know what the heck is going on, who's those voices, where's going on? And then all of a sudden he sees the light start to shine a bit and a hand goes down he thinks, oh, maybe they've come to their senses. And who is there? Slave traders, who are the enemy of God's people, the Ishmaelites who have gone the other way, the other agenda, and they're pulling them out, the Midianites who are taking him to a foreign land to be a slave in Egypt. False hope. And in this moment, I want to give us point number three is this understanding of doubt. Maybe you said something like this, I'm, I'm trusting God, but I just don't know how God is going to reconcile where I am to where He's called me to be. Like, now, now, yeah, oh, okay, cool. It feels like I'm moving, but this doesn't seem like the, this is hard. This doesn't seem like the direction God had for us. Let me tell you, I love this narrative. Uh, the disciples are in the boat. They've fed the 5,000 people. They've seen the miracle. And then all of a sudden, Jesus says, I'm going to go pray. I want you guys to come on over to the other side. I have more for you guys. Come come over the other side. I'll meet you there. And the disciples set out. It says they rowed all night. Then it says in the early hours of the morning, they'd be rowing against the wind. Hard work. Rowing. Uh, let me tell you, I, I just get exhausted after a 5K run. Can you imagine? All night, rowing. Rowing. And it's into the wind. This is terrible conditions for rowing, terrible conditions for golf, exacerbating the slice. It is You just don't want to play into the wind. It's, it's terrible. And they're there into the wind going. And it's in this moment, into the wind, that Jesus meets them on the water. That Peter has this incredible... They'd come, walk on the water. And the whole journey was to get them through to the other side. Let me tell you, if I'm one of those disciples, I'm telling you, I think, I'm pretty sure there was a couple times during that night, as they're rowing, they're going, boys, the wind is lacquer that way. If we just turn this around, we'll be home in, an, in 30 minutes flat. We'll be on the couch... We'll be watching Netflix. I can get KFC, boys. It's, I'm telling you, Jesus will understand. We did that 5,000 feeding thing. It was epic. Jesus will give us a break. I think he's actually probably, probably there already. It's a test because it's hard. And this is the reality. So often there's this temptation in us that we, we're rowing into the wind and we start to doubt. And we think God's favors with, with, against us because it's hard. Where is God in this moment? Let me tell you this reality that so often we confuse ease with blessing. We confuse comfort with favor. That God's favor will mean that life is easy. That God's blessing means that it'll be comfortable. That I'll be able to go with the wind. And that, oh, God's favor's on me because everything's just flowing at the moment. Unfortunately, that's not biblical. As I read narrative after narrative after narrative, I see God's hand of favor and blessing on the people in the most hardest and most tough spaces. Again and again, it feels like it's the people who are rowing into the wind that are encountering Jesus the most. That actually, Joseph in this moment, doubts going, what are you doing? How are you reconciling my dream to this betrayal? Now, being sold to slave traders, how is that ever going to manufacture what you've got for me, God? And this is the reality for you and I. This is the truth. Jesus says, Jesus says, Jesus. I wish it was somebody else, but this is Jesus. He says, in this life, you will have trouble. Great servant, Jesus. Wow. No one's writing, taking that one down. No one's writing that note. In this life, you will have trouble. Take heart, I've overcome the world. But he's not saying, but it will become easier for you. In this life, you will have trouble. Good sermon. Write that one down. Enjoy it. But this is the reality. When we understand the sovereignty of God, the sovereignty of God in an essence means he is the Lord over the storm. Though the storm is raging and you feel so much doubt, you're going, what is going on? I'm so depressed about the reality of our family. I'm so exhausted with the battle at home. I'm so sick and tired of of being sick and tired and the diagnosis. I don't know what to do with the situation. God, what's going on? He says, I'm sovereign over the storm. That's God's sovereignty. He is the Lord over the storm. He knows the beginning from the end. But also there's an idea of the providence of God means this. Sovereignty means He's the Lord over it. Providence means... He's the Lord in the storm with you, and He's the one directing your steps in the midst of it. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. We have a God who's over the storm, but also a God who says, I'm in the storm with you. And this is so huge. He's in the storm working it for our good and for His glory. The best illustration for me of this is this, these three boys, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, thrown into a, fir- uh, a fiery furnace, burning alive. We've characterized, We've made it like a, a nice little children's story. But they're burning alive for their faith in Jesus. And before, as they're about to be thrown into this fire, people are dying with the heat of these flames. The, the, the king of the day says, says you, must, you must bow down to me. Deny your faith. It's, this is hard. You can see God's not with you. God's favor's not with you. Come on, turn back with the wind, guys. And they say these incredible things. No greater theology, I think, in the idea of of struggle and strife and pressure can you find in the Bible than this. They say, We will not bow because we know that our God can save us. We believe our God will save us. And they say, And even if He does not, we won't bow. I love that reality. I love that. If you superimpose that onto every hard situation, every moment of doubt, saying, God, where are you? What are you doing? Saying, God, I know that you can, I know that you will. But God, even if you do not, I won't bow, I won't turn back to ease and comfort. I'm gonna trust you that you'll meet me in this place. This is the incredible reality, as we bring this into land, and I call Jace up wherever he is. He's always with me. All the way through Joseph's narrative, between the promise and the palace, in every single season, between the dream and destination, there's this one verse that follows Joseph everywhere. If you go trace the narrative, it's this verse, at every stanza it says this, and the Lord was with Joseph. In the pit, in Potiphar's house, in the prison cell, it says, and the Lord was with Joseph. I love this reality that shows me the sovereignty of God, the providence of God, that actually over this whole story, God says, no, I've got you. Will you trust me? And this is the reality. We bring this into land. Jesus does not see you through the eyes of your disappointment. He does not see you through the eyes of your darkness. He does not see you through the eyes of your doubt. He looks at you through the eyes of His delight. His delight in you. And this is the reality because I love the fact that Jesus doesn't see the whole in your story. He sees the whole story. He sees all of it. He's not fixated on where you've fallen short where you're leaking oil, where things, the wheels are coming off, where you feel betrayed, where you feel you've let down, you feel that you don't have control of this moment, where you've racked with doubts. He doesn't see the whole in your story. He sees the whole story. You say, I've got this. Why is there such confidence in this? Well, I want to tell you, like Joseph, Jesus was the favorite of his father. Let me tell you, like Joseph, Jesus was sent to the ones who would despise him and reject him. Jesus, like Joseph, was stripped of his garment. Jesus, like Joseph, had his cloak dipped in blood. Jesus, like Joseph, was betrayed and sold for silver. Jesus, like Joseph, descended into the pit. Jesus, like Joseph, as we follow the narrative, he was, he was put between two thieves next to him, a baker and a cupbearer. We see somebody represents the bread and somebody who represents the wine in the bottom of the pit. In the very base of the story, we see the bread and the wine right there. Just Jesus, like Joseph, After three days, one goes free and one gets condemned. Jesus like Joseph is then raised to the right hand of all authority and power. And Jesus like Joseph finally brings deliverance to all his brothers, those who betrayed him as well. This is the huge reality for you and I. Jesus is all over the story of Joseph. Let me tell you, Jesus is all over the whole story of you. Over your pits, over your frustrations, over your doubts, your disappointments, your darkness, Jesus is over it all. Can we stand to our feet? Because I want to tell you before we can understand the whole story, we have to deal with the whole in our story. Now I want to we're gonna take communion at this moment and land this reality. You'll find the communion emblems on your seat. We're gonna take communion not as a religious addendum to a service, not as the religious bookends to say that's the end of this story. No, no. We're doing it in faith. To allow the king of glory to come and move. Thanks for you. In Psalm 40 verse 2, the scripture says this. He lifted me out of the slimy pit. He took me out of the mud and the mire. And he set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. Maybe you feel betrayed. Maybe you feel let down. Maybe you feel disappointed. Maybe you feel in darkness. You cannot see Further than your left, your right. You cannot see beyond your sin, the addiction, the pain in your family, the ache in your soul, and your whole life feels defined by what is going on around you right now. Maybe you're filled with doubt. And you're saying, God, how, how how can it be in this nation that my business will succeed? How why have you got me in this story? God, why have you knitted me with these people? What is going on, God? How can I reconcile that my kids have moved overseas and I feel so anxious and torn away from them? God, what are you doing? And you react with doubt right now. I tell you, you're saying, God, there's a hole in this story how God says, will you see the whole story? The whole story in this moment. Lift your eyes away from the hole in your story but to the whole story that he holds together. And that is embodied in the, the blood and body of Jesus Christ. And the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and said, this is my body broken for you. It's broken for you, where you feel broken, where you feel betrayed, where you feel let down, where you feel like you're, the, the body has betrayed you, and you feel actually, I don't know if I can trust again, I feel afraid, I feel anxious, I, I don't know even relationally, there's that spouse that left me, and I, that, my father that, that showed favoritism to the other children and never actually backed me, and I feel like I've been battling with that hole in my story, leaking, I'm not able to move forward because I'm not able to move in because I'm still stuck in that moment. The body was broken for you in the midst of that betrayal. It was broken. So no matter what happens, you can be whole. Then Jesus took the cup. He said, this cup is a symbolism of the new covenant. My blood poured out for you. In your darkest state, in your most sinful state, in your moment where you feel you have so sinned, you've so... uh, shaking your fist in the face of God you've been such an enemy of God you feel that actually your heart is so dead towards Him His blood says it's more than enough it's more than enough the blood that sets you free while you're still His enemy the blood that sets you free that while you're still dead the blood that sets you free when you were in the mother's womb the blood that was shed before the foundation of the earth the blood of the new covenant the blood that is the whole story the blood washed pages of our lives where we feel there's holes in our story and we tell people we're doing well, but we're not. We tell people that we are righteous, but we're not. We're sinful, we're addicts, we're failures, we're frauds, we're liars. We're just excellent hiders of the truth. The blood says yes, and you too. That blood goes to the darkest space. Right now, let's take communion together, the body and the blood, and let's remind ourselves, not of the whole in our story, but the whole story about our King Jesus. Thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to take your next step or find out what is happening in the life of the church, head over to our website or follow us on social media. Cheers.